Welcome to the Living With Chronic Illness podcast. I'm Mariel Metcalf, Head of Living With at Research Partnership. In this final episode of the Living With NASH series, Katie and I will be discussing the availability and effectiveness of information and support for those living with NASH. We hope you find this podcast of value. And if you want to find out more, please visit researchpartnership.com forward slash living with. Okay, Katie, so you have already spoken to us about your experience with diagnosis, impact of NASH on your life, as well as your thoughts on treatment. And I'd really now like to focus on your thoughts on support and information out there about NASH. And I know you might have touched on some of these topics already before, but have you received any support from your doctor, family, or, or friends when it comes to managing NASH? So I had multiple second opinions before I found the hepatologist that I have now. And he's not a warm and fuzzy kind of guy, but he's very accessible. And he emailed me and he allows me to email him. And I feel like that's a great way to support me. There's a lot of friends and family that'll say, hey, if you take this supplement, that'll cure your liver disease. Or, hey, sprinkle this on your salad or do this or do that. And I can say, what do you think of, you know, turmeric? You know, what do you think about dill, pepper, whatever? You know, I can ask him, what do you think about this or this? And he can say, it's not going to hurt you, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? And so I feel like that is, that is a form of support because I trust him and I can say, hey, you know, that might be all natural, but, you know, my doctor says that's not going to benefit me or, or something. So I feel like that's great support. There were no support groups or any kind of mentorship programs or peer-to-peer programs or anything like that at the hospital. And this is a very, very large, well-known hospital. It didn't have anything like that. I found an online group for liver diseases and um, I I had to get off of there right away because it was just, there were people with, you know, an earlier stage diagnosis than me that were doing so poorly. They couldn't get out of bed. They weren't working. They were on disability. Mm -hmm. They had all these different problems and it was just making me feel terrible. And I needed something that would inform me and make me feel hopeful. I want to move forward to have, you know, the best quality of life possible. And that support group wasn't it. And it was Mm -hmm. the only one that was available at that time. Since then, I've found a new group and Mm -hmm. there are websites that have some information. I had tried to join the American Lung Association groups. And that was the one that I found really difficult because it was all liver diseases, not just NASH. A lot of the, the patients were doing very, very poorly, and I just didn't feel like I was getting what I needed from that. So I found another group, which is a private group on Facebook for NASH disease, mm-hmm. and those folks really talk about ways to 
live healthier and how to combat some of the issues that we might face. Also talking to each other about medical terms and definitions and what they might mean and questions that we should ask our doctor. You know, those of us who have been around for a little while are, are mentoring those who are newly diagnosed. There's a, a website called nashdisease.org, O-R-G, mm-hmm. and uh, that one has some great information on there as well. But it was the blind leading the blind when I was first diagnosed. You know, I, di- I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. So for those people who are newly diagnosed, please reach out to someone who's been there before (laughs) and ask questions, ask lots and lots of questions. And, you know, clinical trials are your friends. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you've jumped a a lot of the, the questions I wanted to actually ask you. So let's talk about the use of social media, I guess, in all this. And I know you mentioned Facebook. So are you an avid user of social media? Is that the reason why you kind of gravitated to that? Or, or how did your process of how you started searching evolve, I guess I would say? And, and which sources of information now do you use the most and, and trust the most? So in my role at my job, a lot of what we do goes on our company's social media pages. So I am on social media a couple of times a day at the very least. And so I went looking for a patient group because I thought that, you know, patients will be honest with other patients. A lot of the the people that I was finding over on the big organization group were folks who talked about being, you know, 10 years sober or someone who was in Narcotics Anonymous or someone else who was looking into gastric bypass or maybe they had hepatitis. So it was just a wide range of things. It wasn't necessarily specific to NASH. So I went looking for a NASH support group on Facebook, and it's private. It's something that nobody else can see unless you're in that group, and you're able to talk to other people about things. And then if somebody is having an issue or a side effect or a problem related to their disease, it's NASH-specific. It's not all of these other types of diseases. So I found that to be a little more helpful. And then, of course, learning what kind of questions needed to be asked, you know, what are the tests that they give you? What are those called? And what are those results mean? And all of those kinds of things that, you know, it's been the first couple of years. And it's like, I don't know what that test does. They just do it. And they say, I'm stable, you know, to be the best advocate for yourself, you really need to know those things. So yeah, that's what's been helpful for me. And Just touching base with your thoughts on information from your doctor. So again, as I mentioned before, we did conduct research with those living with NASH in the US and they did say that they consult most the internet and their doctor. And I think what was surprising about this is that the internet was higher than the doctor in terms of frequency of use because this is very, I guess, kind of more unique to NASH. What are your thoughts on that? And you know, you have a good relationship with your doctor, but does the doctor provide you with enough information? Do you always have to supplement? Yeah, so yes, it's like pulling teeth. And, you know, from a psychology standpoint, I am only guessing that the reason that is, is I always use the example, don't ask, don't tell, simply because there's no treatment option for you. If there's no treatment option for you, the less he says, the better. And that's just my assumption. 
that maybe, you know, if he doesn't say anything that prompts me to ask questions or that prompts me to want to do more, because there's nothing more that can be done. So that's the excuse that I've given my doctor <laughs> in, in that, you know, if he's not going to talk about it, if it's not something that's going to directly benefit me, and maybe he's not going to bring up what these tests mean, because why does it matter? Because we're not going to be changing anything because there's nothing to change. There are no treatment options. So I absolutely agree with that, that we're getting more information from the internet than we are from our doctors. I think once the doctors have something to offer you, then the conversation will be broader. But really, it's so minimal. My office visits are so short unless I have something specific to address. And now that you know I've been doing the clinical trial, it's very comprehensive. The conversations are there and it's very comprehensive. But before then, it was so basic. I'd wait six months for a 10-minute office visit. And so I definitely have learned more about this disease online than I have directly from my doctor. I don't even think I got a pamphlet or anything like that. What do you wish would have happened at that doctor visit? Even though there is no treatment, what do you wish your doctor could have mentioned to you to help you manage or, or cope with NASH? I wish that in the very beginning, I had a doctor explain to me what it was outside of you do this to yourself. You know, nine times out of 10, this is a disease that you do to yourself because of your lifestyle choices. I would have liked the doctor to explain to me, yes, that's true, but there's also a subset of people who maybe because of their ethnicity, because of genetics, because of whatever, they have this. Here are some ways that we can work to keep you stable and let's work together. Can I recommend you see a nutritionist or here are some basic guidelines on how to keep your liver healthy? I was terrified to take an over-the-counter aspirin for a headache because I thought that would kill my liver. Nobody told me what was safe and what wasn't safe. So I would have loved to have had that conversation. I got an email that said, go to the National Institutes of Health, the Dirty Dozen. Don't, don't do any of those things for your liver. And it was like, really? You know, tell me what I can do to keep my, my liver safe. You know, if you have a headache, you can take this. Can I dye my hair? Is that going to seep in and poison my liver? I mean, so many questions I had because I had no idea you know, zero idea. So the conversation could have been, here are some things that you can continue to do or that you shouldn't do. And you know what? We don't have an approved treatment option for this disease right now, but there are such things as clinical trials. Do you know what a clinical mm. trial is? Here is what it is. You're not a guinea pig. These are viable treatment options. And you may or may not get the treatment in the trial, but you don't have anything, any treatment anyway, so you're not losing anything. You know what I mean? Have this conversation with me. Let me know that research is happening instead of going from scan to scan, waiting until liver failure and wondering if I'm going to get a liver transplant. So that's really what I hoped my doctor would have said to me. Was there anything else about information or support with NASH that you wanted to discuss that we haven't really touched on that you felt was quite important? 
you know, there's little awareness about NASH for as prevalent as it is. And I didn't know that until I was diagnosed. I would not have a reason to know that. But because it's so prevalent, because it's so closely related to our lifestyle choices and the things that people do to themselves or the choices that they make, there needs to be more awareness about this disease. I feel like we need to see patient stories out there, successful patient stories out there. And that, you know, there needs to be peer mentors, there needs to be educational videos, there needs to be things out there that a patient like me can land on, find and watch, and that would inspire me to become my own advocate, to seek out things that would help me live better. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Katie. So again, thank you very much for your time and for taking us through your experience living with NASH. So for our listeners, if you've not done so already, please do not forget to listen to the other segments of this podcast. We will be planning further podcasts and other therapy areas in the future. So we hope you can join us then. But again, thank you, Katie, for your time. Really informative, really insightful, and we really appreciate you spending your time with us today. Thanks for having me.